6. L by two sensations a yearning for loaves and fishes, and a love for Judy, reader, and you really take office under peel, punch, ha, 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 a good joke, peel takes office under me, ha, ha, I'm only thinking what sport I shall have with the bedchamber women, but out they must go, the constitution gives a minister the selection of his own petticoats, and therefore there shall single quote and single quote be a yard of Welsh flannel about Her Majesty that isn't of my choice. Reader, do you really think that the royal bedchamber is in fact a third house of parliament that the affairs of the state are always to be put in the feminine gender? Punch. Most certainly, the ropes of the state rudder are nothing more than cap ribbons, if the minister have single quote and single quote tea hold of them. What can he do with the ship? As for the debates in Parliament, they have no more to do with the real affairs of the country than the gossip of the apple women in Palace Yard. They're made, like the macaroni in Naples, for the poor to swallow, and so that they gulp down length. They think, poor fellows, they get strength. But for the real affairs of the country, who shall tell what correspondence can be conveyed in a warming pan? What intelligence for, there may be wisdom in a puppy yoke, may be wrapped up in the curl papers of the crown. What's all? Sinister advice may, by a crafty disposition of royal pins, be given on the royal pin cushion. What minister shall answer for the sound repose of royalty, if he be not permitted to make royalty's bed? How shall he answer for the comely appearance of royalty, if he do not, by his own delegated hands, place royalty's stays? I shudder to think of it, but, without the key of the bedchamber, could my friend Peel be made responsible for the health of the princess? instead of the very best and most scrupulously aired diaper, might not by negligence or design, it matters not which the princess royal be rolled in an act of parliament, what from Hansard's press, reader, dreadful, soul-perturbing suggestion, go on, Mr. Punch, Punch, not but what I think it if their constitution will stand damp paper an admirable way of rearing young princesses, Queen Elizabeth my wife Judy was her wet nurse was reared after that fashion, reader, David Hume says nothing of it. Punch. David Hume was one of the wonders of the earth. He was a lazy Scotchman, but had he searched the state paper office, he would have found the documents there yes. The very acts of Parliament the very printed rollers. To those rollers Queen Elizabeth out her knowledge of the English Constitution. Reader. Explain I can't see how. Punch. Then you are very dull. Is not Parliament the assembled wisdom of the country? Reader. By a fiction. Mr. Punch. Punch very well. Mr. Reader, what's all the world but a fiction? I say, the assembled wisdom, an act of parliament is the sifted wisdom of the wise the essence of an essence. Very well, know you not the mystic, the medicinal effects of printer's ink? The devil himself isn't proof to a blister of printer's ink. Well, you take an act of parliament and what is it but the finest plaster of the finest brains wet, reeking wet from the press, eschewing diaper. You roll the act round the royal infant, you roll it up and pin it in the conglomerate wisdom of the nation. Now, consider the tenderness of a baby's cuticle, the pores are open, and a rapid and continual absorption takes place, so that long before the royal infant cuts its first tooth, it has taken up into its system the whole body of the statutes. Reader, might not some patriots object to the application of the wisdom of the country to so domestic a purpose? Punch. Such patriots are more squeamish than wise. Sir, how many grown-up kings have we had, who had shown no more respect for the laws of the country, than if they had been swaddled in air? Reader, do you think your friend Sir Robert is for statute rollers? Punch, I can answer for Sir Robert on every point. 
his first attack before he kisses hands and he has, as you perceive, been practicing this half hour will be upon the women of the bedchamber, the war with China the price of sugar the corn laws the 14 new bishops about to be hatched timber cotton a property tax, and the penny post all these matters and persons are of secondary importance to this greater question whether the female who hands the queen her bound shall think Lord Melbourne a very pretty fellow in his day, or whether she shall believe my friend Sir Robert to be as great. A conjurer as Roger Bacon or the Wizard of the North if the lady can look upon O'Connell and not call for burnt feathers or scream for sal volatile, or if she really thinks the Pope to be a woman with a naughty name, clothed in most exceptionable scarlet, it is whether Lady Mary thinks black, or Lady Clementina thinks white, whether her father who begot her voted with the Marquis of Londonderry or Earl Grey that is the grand question to be solved, before my friend Sir Robert can condescend to be the saviour of his country. To have the privilege of making a batch of peers, or a handful of bishops is nothing, positively nothing. Number the crowning work is to manufacture a lady's maid. What's a mitre to a mob cap? What the garters of a peer to the garters of the Lady Adliza? Reader, you are getting warm, Mr. Punch very warm. Punch, I always do get warm when I talk of the delicious sex, for though now and then I thrash my wife before company, who shall imagine how quasi we are when we're alone? Do you not remember that great axiom of Sir Robert's an axiom that should make Machiavelli howl with envy that, the battle of the Constitution is too fought in the bedchamber? Reader, I remember it. Punch, that was a great sentence. Had Sir Robert known his true fame, he would never after have opened his mouth. Reader, has the Queen sent for Sir Robert yet? Punch, no, though I know he has stayed at home these ten days, and answers every knock at the door himself, in expectation of a message. Reader, they say the Queen doesn't like Sir Robert. Punch, I'm also told that Her Majesty has a great antipathy to physic yet when the Constitution requires medicine. Why Reader, Sir Robert must be swallowed. Punch, exactly so. We shall have warm work of it, no doubt but I fear nothing, when we have once got rid of the women. And then, we have a few such nice winches of our own to place about Her Majesty, the Queen shall take conservatism as she might take measles without knowing it. Reader, and when, Mr. Punch when you have got rid of the women, what do you and Sir Robert purpose then? Punch, I beg your pardon, we shall meet again next week, it's now two o'clock. I have an appointment with half a dozen of my godsons, I have promised them all places in the new government, and they're come to take their choice. Reader, do tell me this, who has Peel selected for commander of the forces? Punch, who, Colonel Sithorpe. Reader, and who for Chancellor of the Exchequer? Punch, Mr. Henry Moretton dear. Punch's pencilings. Member I I. Illustration, Hercules tearing Theseus from the rock to which he had grown. Modernized. Apiolalodioarius relates that Theseus sat so long on a rock, that at length he grew to it, so that when Hercules tore him forcibly away, he left all the nether part of the man behind him. The election of the Aelalionaefati. From our special correspondent. We have been at considerable expense in procuring the subjoined account of the election which has just terminated in the borough of Bullinathan, in Ireland. Our readers may rest assured that our report is perfectly exclusive, being taken, as the artists say, on the spot, by a special bulletproof reporter whom we engaged, at an enormous expense, for this double hazardous service. Bailalionaefati, 20th July, Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock. The contest has begun. The struggle for the independence of Bolinafant has commenced. Grigals, the opposition candidate, 
is in the field, backed by a vile faction, the rank, wealth, and independence of Bolinath and are all ranged under the banner of Figsby and Freedom. A party of Grigal's voters have just marched into the town, preceded by a piper and a blind fiddler, playing the most obnoxious tunes. A barrel of beer has been broached at Grigal's committee rooms. We are all in a state of the greatest excitement. Half past eight. Mr. Figsby is this moment proceeding from his hotel to the Hustings, surrounded by his friends and a large body of the independent teetotal electors. A wheelbarrow full of rotten eggs has been sent up to the Hustings, to be used, as occasion requires, by the Figsby voters, who are bent upon a serious riot has occurred at the town pump, where two of the independent teetotalers have been ducked by the opposite party. Stones are beginning to fly in all directions. A general row is expected. Nine o'clock. Polling has commenced. Tom Daly, of Galway, the fighting friend of Mr. Figsby, has just arrived, with three brace of dueling pistols, and a carpet bag full of powder and ball. This looks like business. I had heard that six of Mr. Figsby's voters had been locked up in a barn by Grigal's people. The poll is proceeding vigorously. Ten o'clock. State of the poll to this time. Figsby 19 Grigal's 20 to the most barefaced bribery is being employed by Grigal's. A lady known to be in his interest, was seen buying half a pound of tea, in the shop of Mr. Fad, the grocer, for which she paid with a whole sovereign, and took no change, two legs of mutton had also been sent up to Grigal's house, by Riley, the butcher, heaven knows what will be the result, the voting has become serious for men with fractured skulls have, within these ten minutes, been carried into the apothecaries over the way, a couple of policemen have been thrown over the bridge, but we are in too great a state of agitation to mind trifles. Half past twelve o'clock. State of the poll to this time, Figsby 27 Grigal's 36 You can have no idea of the frightful state of the town. The faction are employing all sorts of bribery and intimidation. The wife of a liberal greengrocer has just been seen with the Grigal's ribbons in her cap. Five pounds have been offered for a sucking pig. Figsby must come in notwithstanding two cartloads of the temperance voters are now riding up to the poll, most of them being too drunk to walk. Three duels have been this morning reported, results not known. The coroner has been holding inquests in the market house all the morning. Three o'clock. State of the poll to this time, Figsby 45 Grigal's 39 The rascally corrupt assessor has decided that the temperance electors who came up to vote for the liberal candidate, being too drunk to speak were disentitled to vote. Some dead men had been pulled by Grigals. The verdict of the coroner's inquest on those who unfortunately lost their lives this morning, has been, found dead. Everybody admires the sagacious conclusion at which the jury had arrived. It is reported that Figsby has resigned. I am able to contradict the gross falsehood. Mr. F. is now addressing the electors from his committee room window, and has this instant received a plumper in the eye in the shape of a rotten potato. I have ascertained that the casualties amount to no more than six men, two pigs, and two policemen, killed, thirteen men, women, and children, wounded, four o'clock state of the poll up to this time, Figsby 29 Grigal's 41 the poll clerks on both sides are drunk, the assessor has closed the booths, and I am grieved to inform you that Grigal's has just been duly elected, half past four o'clock, Figsby has given Grigal's the lie on the open hustings, will Grigal's fight? Five o'clock. His wife insists he shall, so, of course, he must. I hear that a message has just been delivered to Figsby. Tom Daly and his carpetbag passed under my window a few minutes ago. 
half past five o'clock. Two post chaises had just dashed by at full speed. I got a glimpse of Tom Daly smoking a cigar in one of them. Six o'clock. I open my letter to tell you that Figsby is the favorite. Three to one has been offered at the club. That he wings his man, and three to two that he drills him. The public anxiety is intense. Half past six. I again open my letter to say that I have nothing further to add, except that the betting continues in favor of the popular candidate. Seven o'clock. Has a Griggles is shot. The glorious principles of constitutional freedom have been triumphant. The town is in an uproar of delight. We are making preparations to illuminate. Fadi is saved. F.I.G.S.B. forever. Epigram. Lord Johnny from Stroud thought it best to retreat, being certain of getting the sack. So he ran to the city, and begged for a seat, crying, Please to remember poor Jack. Conundrums by call. S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P. Why is a tall nobleman like a poker? Because he's a high and belonging to the great. Why is a defunct mother like a dog? Because she's a mastiff. When is a horse like a herring? When he's hard road. Epigram on seeing an execution. One morn. Two friends before the Newgate drop. To see a culprit throttled. Chance to stop. Alas! Cried one as round in air he spun. That miserable wretch's race is run. True. Said the other dryly. To his cost. The race is run but. By a lost. Fashionable arrivals. Lord John Russell has arrived at a conviction that the Whigs are not so popular as they were. Sir Peter Loring has arrived at the conclusion that Solon was a greater man than himself. The poet foiled. To win the maid the poet tries. And sonnets writes to Julia's eyes. She likes a verse but cruel whim. She still appears a verse to him. A most cruel hoax has recently been played off upon that deserving class the housemaids of London. By the insertion of an advertisement in the morning papers. Announcing that a servant in the above capacity was wanted by Lord Melbourne. Had it been for a cook. The absurdity would have been too palpable. As Melbourne has frequently expressed his opposition to sinecures. Ecclesiastical transportation. Now be white the elm has beat the wigs. The church can't understand why Botany Bay should be all sea. And have no sea on land. For such a lamentable one our good Archbishop grieves. Tis very strange the Torah should remind him of the thieves. Epigram. An American paper tells us of a woman named Dobbs, who was killed in a preaching house at Nashville, by the fall of a chandelier on her head. Brett's patent brandy poet, who would as soon make a witticism on a cracked crown as a cracked bottle, has sent us the following, the light of life comes from above. Old Dingdrum Snuffling said, the light came down on Peggy Dobbs, and Peggy Dobbs was dead. A man in Kentucky was so absent, that he put himself on the toasting fork and did not discover his mistake until he was done brown. Consistency. No wonder Tory landlords flout, fixed duty. For tea's plain. With them the anti-corn law bill must go against the grain. The anticipated eruption of Mount Vesuvius is said to have been prevented by throwing a box of hollow ice ointment into the crater. The sailor's secret. In the year let me see but no matter about the date my father and mother died of a typhus fever, leaving me to the care of an only relative, an uncle. By my father's side, his name was Box, as my name is Box. I was a baby in long clothes at that time, not even so much as christened, so uncle, taking the hint, I suppose, from the lid of his sea chest, had me called Beofron Box, Beofron being the name of the ship of which he was sailing master, I shall single quote and single quote to say anything about my education, though I was brought up and it's not much to boast of, but as soon as I could bear the weight of a cockade and a dirk, 
Uncle got me a berth as midshipman on board his own ship. So there I was, Mr. Benio Fronbox. I didn't like the sea or the service, being continually disgusted at the partiality shown towards me. For in less than a month I was put over the heads of all my superior officers. You may stare but it's true, for I was mast-headed for a week at a stretch. When we put into port, Captain called me into his cabin, and politely informed me that if I chose to go on shore, and should find it inconvenient to return, no impertinent inquiries should be made after me. I availed myself of the hint, and exactly one year and two months after setting foot on board the Beaufron, I was Master Beaufron box again. Well, now for my story. There was one Tom Johnson on board, a folksell man, as they called him, who was very kind to me. He tried to teach me to turn a quid, and generously helped me to drink my grog. As I was unmercifully quizzed in the cockpit, I grew more partial to the society of Tom than to that of my brother Middies. Tom always addressed me dot single quote sir dot and they named me Puddinghead, till at last we might be called friends, during many a night watch, when I had sneaked away for a snooze among the hencoops. Has Tom saved me from detection? and the consequent pleasant occupation of carrying about a bucket of water on the end of a capstan bar. I had been on board about a month perhaps too when the order came down from the Admiralty, for the men to cut off their tails. Lord, what a scene was there. I wonder it didn't cause a mutiny. I think it would have done so. But half the crew were laid up with colds in their heads, from the suddenness of the change, though an extra allowance of rum was served out to rub them with to prevent such consequences but the purser not giving any definite directions, whether the application was to be external or internal, the liquor, I regret to say, for the honor of the British Navy, was applied much lower down, for some weeks the men seemed half crazed, and were almost as unmanageable as ships that had lost their rudders, well, so they had, it was a melancholy sight to see piles of beautiful tails with little labels tied to them, like the instructions on a physic bottle, each directed to some favored relative or sweetheart of the curtailed seaman. What a strange appearance must Portsmouth, and Falmouth, and Plymouth, and all the other mouths that are filled with sea stores, have presented, when the precious remembrances were distributed. I wish some artist would consider it, for I think it's a shame that there should be no record of such an interesting circumstance. One night, shortly after this visitation, it blew great guns, large black clouds, like chimney sweepers feather beds, scudged over our heads, and the rain came pouring down like like winking. Tom had been promoted, and was sent up aloft to a reef a sail, when one of the horses giving way, down came Tom Johnson, and snapped wind a leg and an arm, I was ordered to see him carried below, an office which I readily performed, for I like the man and they don't allow umbrellas in the navy. What's the matter? said the surgeon. Nothing particular. Sir, Auntie Tom's broke his legs and his arms by a fall from the yard, replied a seaman. Tom groaned, as though he did consider it something very particular. He was soon stripped and the shattered bones set, which was no easy matter. The ship pitching and tossing about as she did, I sat down beside his berth, holding on as well as I could. The wind howled through the rigging, making the vessel seem like an infernal Aeolian harp. The thunder rumbled like an indisposed giant, and to make things more agreeable. A gun broke from its lashings, and had it all its own way for about a quarter of an hour. Tom groaned most pitiably. I looked at him, and if I were to live for a thousand years, I shall never forget the expression of his face. His lips were blue, and no matter, I'm not clever at portrait painting, 
but imagine an old-fashioned Saracen's head not the fine handsome fellow they have stuck on Snow Hill, but one of the Griffins of 1809 and you have Tom's PHIs, only it wants touching with all the colors of a painter's palette, I was quite frightened, and could only stammer out, white T-O-O-N, it's all up, sir, says he, I must go, I feel it, don't be foolish, I replied, don't die till I call the surgeon, it was a stupid speech, I acknowledge, but I could not help it at the time, Mumber no, don't call the surgeon, Mr. Box, he's done all he can, sir, but it's here it's here, and then he made an effort to thump his heart, or the back of his head, I couldn't make out which, I trembled like a jelly, I had once seen a melodrama, and I recollected that the villain of the piece had used the same action, the same words, Mr. Box, groaned Tom, I weigh secret as makes me very uneasy, sir, indeed, Tom, I replied, hadn't you better confess the moor, murder, I was a-going to say, but I thought it might not be polite, considering Tom's situation, the ruffian, for such he looked then, tried to erase himself, but another lurch of the front sent him on his back, and myself on my beam ends, as soon as I recovered my former position, Tom continued, Mr. Box, dare I trust you, sir, if I could do so, I'm certain as how I should soon be easier, of course, said I, of course, out with it, and I promise never to betray your confidence, then come, come here, gasped the suffering wretch, give us your hand, sir, I instinctively shrunk back with horror, don't be long, Mr. Box, for every minute makes it worse, and then his Saracen's head changed to a feminine expression, and resembled the bell savage, I couldn't resist the appeal, so placing my hand in his, Tom put it over his shoulder, and, with a ghastly smile, said, pull it out, sir, pull what out, my secret, Mr. Box, it's hurting on me, I thought that he had grown delirious, so, in order to soothe him as much as possible, I forced my hand under his shirt collar, and what do you think I found, why, a pigtail his pigtail, which he had contrived to conceal between his shirt and his skin, when the barbarous order of the admiralty had been put into execution, songs for the sentimental, Mumber I, I, you say you would find but one, and one only, who'd feel without you that the revel was lonely, that when you were near, time ever was fleetest, and deem your love voice of all music the sweetest, who would own her heart thine, though a monarch beset it, and love on and change don't you wish you may get it, you say you would rove where the bud cannot wither, where Arabis perfumes each breeze waft at thither, where the lute hath no string that can waken a sorrow, where the soft twilight blends with the dawn of the morrow, where joy kindles joy, ere you learn to forget it, and care never comes don't you wish you may get it, syllables which breathe of the sweet south, Joey Hume is about to depart for Switzerland, for, finding his flummery of no avail at Leeds, we presume he intends to go to Schaffhausen, to try the canton, marriage and christening extraordinary, we beg to congratulate Lord John Russell on his approaching union with Lady Fanny Elliot. His lordship is such a persevering votary of Hymen, that we think he should be named Union Jack. Ominous, Lord P.A. Rustiolan, on his road to a Windsor, narrowly escaped being upset by a gentleman in a gig. We have been privately informed that the party with whom he came in collision was Sir Robert Peel. Cross readings, Rick, if you ever should be in a state of ennui, just listen to me and without any fee I'll give you a hint how to set yourself free, though dearth of intelligence weaken the news, and you feel an incipient attack of the blues, for amusement you never need be at a loss, 
If you take up the paper and read it across, inter here's the times, apropos, and so, with your patience, I'll show what I mean, by perusing a passage or two, Aria, hem, Mr. George Robbins is anxious to tell, in very plain prose, he's instructed to sell, a vote for the county, packed neatly in straw, set by hollow ointment, a limb of the law. The army has had secret orders to cease, as soon as they can, the industrious fleas. For amusement you never need be at a loss. If you take a newspaper and read it across, the opera opens with elegant coats, for silver and gold we exchange foreign notes, specific to soften mortality's ills, and cure Yorkshire bacon, take Morrison's pills. Curious coincidence, scheme to graves and, tale of deep interest, money to a lend, Lewis is waiting for William to send. For amusement you never need be at a loss, if you take a newspaper and read it across, for relief of the polls, an astounding feat, a respectable man, for a water will eat, the macadamized portion of Parliament Street, mysterious occurrence, expected in cog, to be viewed by cards only, a terrible fog, at eight in the morning the steam carriage starts, takes passengers now, to be finished in parts, for amusement you never need be at a loss, if you take a newspaper and read it across left in a cab, and, the number not known, a famous prize ox, weighing two hundred stone, he speaks with a lisp, has a delicate shape, and had on, when he quitted, a Macintosh cape, for China direct, a fine, dealer in slops, to the curious in shaving, new way to dress chops, repeal of the corn, was roasted for lunch, teetotal beverage, triumph of punch, for amusement you never need be at a loss, if you take a newspaper and read it across, a con, by D.U.N.C.O.M.B. Why are 4,840 yards of land obtained on credit like a drinking song? Because it's an acre on tick. I think I had you there. A woodcut. A correspondent of one of the morning papers exultingly observes that the wood blocks which are about being removed from Whitehall are in excellent condition. If this is an allusion to the present ministry, we should say, emphatically, not, revenge is sweet. The Tories in Beverly have been wreaking their vengeance on their opponents at the late election, by ordering their tradesmen who voted against the conservative candidate to send in their bills. Mr. Duncombe declares that this is a mode of revenge he never would condescend to adopt, if Farron, cleverest of men, should go to the right about. What part of town will he be then? Why, Farron done without. What, oh, apothecary, Cox, a pill doctor at Leeds, it is reported modestly requested a check for L10, for the honor of his vote, had his demand been complied with, we presume the bride would have been endorsed, the straw to be taken at poll time, questioned by the disowned of an ODDINGHAN, why do men who are about to fight a duel generally choose a field for the place of action, answer by Colonel S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P., I really cannot tell, unless it be for the purpose of allowing the balls to graze, review, to prize essays, by Lord Melbourne and Sir Robiardi Peel, 8 volumes, folio, London, Masros, S.O.F.D.S.K.I.N. and Tingle, Downing Street. We congratulate the refined and sensitive publishers on the production of these elaborately written gilt-edged folios, and trust that no remarks will issue from the press calculated to affect the digestion of any of the parties concerned. The sale of the volumes will, no doubt, be commensurate with the public spirit, the wisdom, and the benevolence which has uniformly characterized the career of their illustrated authors, two more statesmen-like volumes never issued from the press, in fact, the books may be regarded as typical of all statesmen, the subject, or rather the line of argument, 
is thus designated by the respective writers, SAI, on the fine art of government, or how to do the least possible good to the country in the longest possible time, and enjoy, meanwhile, the most ease and luxury, by Lord Melbourne, SAI, on the science of governing, or how to do the utmost possible good for ourselves in the shortest possible time, under the name of our altars, and our throne, and everybody that is good and wise, by Sir Robert Peel, we are quite unable to enter into a review of these very costly productions, an estimate of the value of which the public will be sure to receive from authority, and be required to meet the amount, not only with cheerful loyalty, but a more weighty and less noisy acknowledgement, as to the prize. It has been adjudged by Punch to be divided equally between the two illustrious essayists, to the one, in virtue of his incorrigible laziness, and to the other, in honor of his audacious rapacity, to the laughter-loving public. Punch begs to inform the inhabitants of Great Britain, Ireland, and the Isle of Dogs, that he has just opened on an entirely new line, an universal comic railroad, and cosmopolitan pleasure van for the transmission of bon mots, puns, witticisms humorous passengers, and queer figures, to every part of the world, the engines have been constructed on the most laughable principles, and being on the high pressure principle, the manager has provided a vast number of patent anti-explosive fun belts, to secure his passengers against the danger of suddenly bursting, the train starts every Saturday morning, under the guidance of an experienced punster, the departure of the train is always attended with immense laughter, and a tear,